we actually are super tolerant of almost everything except Christianity. It is a difficult conversation to have when someone wants to accept everything but exclude us as a belief system. I think the healthiest way to come to that conversation is without the wounds that we bear. Mm. Hi there, this is Study with Friends, a weekly dive into the answers and questions we find in the Bible, in the church, and in the broader Christian faith. I'm Paige, and this week we are talking about expanding our apologetics toolbox with help from Holly's book, Searching for God. We use long-form programming, and this episode is a part of a series. You can get all the rest of the episodes, learn more about the guests in this series, about the resources we provide, and about the larger work that we are doing all at studywithfriends.org. Now let's begin today's episode. So now we're going to talk about relativism. So I have a friend, his name is Paul Copan, and he wrote the introduction to the book. And I think he nails relativism. So I'm going to use his um, conversational development of the, the relativism concept. So a good working definition is uh, relativism, uh, a relativism, a relativist view would assert there is no such thing as objective truth. Conversationally, that might come out in, well, that's your truth, but it's not my truth. It might also come out in, um, you shouldn't judge someone else's beliefs. It's arrogant for you to say, oh, that's a big one for yeah. Christians, intolerant mm-hmm. for you to say that your views are true for everyone. Uh, it might also come out in, um, there's no objective morality or ethical behavior yeah. that we only submit to the laws of society because it's what's best to keep a working society. Mm -hmm. That's a complex way of saying uh, you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. So these are all ways that relativism could practically like in conversation come up. But the, the core belief, (laughs) which is funny to use that word Mm, is that there is no objective truth. Yeah. Um, some people, and I think it's a little snarky, immediately come back to that and say, are you saying it's the only objective truth is that there is no truth? Because you're asserting that is true. Yeah. Uh, I think it's snarky. Yeah. Because it's not relationship building. (laughs) Um, It's argumentative. Mm -hmm. And I, I personally don't, while it's true, to, like it's useful right. to be able to point that out to somebody. It's not the best relational way to do so. Yeah. Okay, so that's our working definition of relativism. So Paul, he really boils it down, which is so helpful. And this is another place where we can plant our flag, right? He says people aren't relative about all truth. They aren't relative about the capital of France, right. which is Paris. They aren't relative about who won the Super Bowl last time. They are relative about truths that they believe exert themselves on their morality mm-hmm. 
or truths about a God that they don't necessarily want to embrace, Mm -hmm. which nails it because the truth is relativism is rooted in self-centeredness. Right. I hate to be, so I'm trying to be gentle with my words and that statement is not super gentle, but when it comes to relativism, we have to be a little less gentle because by definition, it's asking us to accept everything Mm -hmm. and make everything okay. And so to cope with that, we have to be a little bit more assertive than we might be about like naturalism. What are some ways that you've seen relativism come up in your world or in the culture? Well, again, this is a, I, I think a relatively common one. I do. So relatively you do you. common. <laughs> Relative. Let's say, let's count how many times we say it. I know. Uh, yeah. I do me, you do you. And you're right that one of the really common ones is, is as long as it doesn't infringe mm-hmm. on mine in my territory, I don't necessarily care what you do. And so I see that pretty commonly even amongst believers. Mm-hmm. Well, you can believe that about the Bible, but I don't really believe mm, that's that good. that is true, you know, is necessarily what it says or things like that. And and that's some of actually what I have a harder time with. I don't have as hard of a time, again, growing up in a home where uh, what was good was what my father said was good. Mm-hmm. So that's what we understood was good. Right. And that's how we lived our lives. Whether When he said it was right, it was right. When he said it was wrong, it was wrong. Um, and so that I, I actually clearly understand when I hear people saying it. It's it's faithful people who say, mm. that's I, I struggle, I have a harder time with that. Because I'm like, well, but it says, it. Right. <laughs> you know, it says it in here. Well, I know, but it, that, does, that was a thousand years ago. That was, mm. you know, this. so that's how I see relativism in, in my daily practice is I see it a lot in, uh, in just a lot of the way people talk mm-hmm. about what they want that because it's what they want to be true for them Mm -hmm. but that hurts my nature therefore it can't be true I was born this way therefore it can't be true I struggle with this personal thing therefore it can't be true and what God says is true is difficult for all of us Mm -hmm. nobody is free from that no one walks out the door and says oh yeah everything in scripture I nope I have no problems with any of it and so we have to rectify that in ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that some people have a hard time squaring up social justice issues with biblical truth. Mm -hmm. Experiences have become the rule of the day. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is, Jesus is all about validating and supporting people's experiences and giving them healing and restoration But there's this divide between the restoration that's available in the context of Christianity and relativist culture that says, don't exert your beliefs on me. Mm -hmm. There is a frustrating component because in a post-Christian culture, which we talked about in the first episode, what post-Christian really means, and it might have been the second episode, inoculated culture in a post-christian culture we actually are super tolerant of almost everything except christianity it's like there are a few things we can rule out and christianity is one of them that doesn't work but these other things they might work and so it is a difficult conversation to have when someone wants to accept everything but exclude us as a belief system so again i think the healthiest way to come to that conversation 
is without the wounds that we bear Mm. of being hurt by the culture and recognizing that overall Christianity has done its share of hurting. And so we have to just take, we talked about this too, we have to take what we've done and what's been done to us and separate, compartmentalize it and say, okay, let's just talk about truth, period. Mm -hmm. Now you referenced C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity in another episode, and and I think he does an exceptional job with this. I think he does, in my opinion, probably the best job with helping us understand how the potential arguments are made, like what I said at the beginning, which is morality is just a social construct. Mm -hmm. Ethics are just a social construct. Uh, We only do these things, our nature, you know, whatever. But if we talked about backing up the naturalist all the way to the universe had a beginning... Therefore, it must have a cause. We can back the relativist up to truth, Mm -hmm. truth, objective truth. So there are a lot of relative conversations that can happen. LGBTQ plus community questions, Mm -hmm. social justice questions, racial justice questions. Those, I believe, do back up to truth and the moral law, natural law. And that is, there is a real right and wrong. When people talk about relative truth, that's what they're really talking about. Not, like I said, is Paris really, truly the capital of France, but is your right and wrong, objectively right and wrong. So we could supplant in these things that I mentioned at the beginning, which are on page... 56 and 57, what's true for you is not true for me. Mm -hmm. Don't exert your beliefs on me. That's not appropriate. It's arrogant for you to say what you believe is true, should be true for me. If we actually take the words truth and belief out and put in the words right and wrong, Mm -hmm. that makes this conversation easier. But in order to do that, you've got to back people up to an objective right and wrong. And that can take a lot of time. Because we've lost that in our culture. Um, what's, so I could, uh, let me do some workshopping of that. What's right for you isn't right for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I said, what's true for you isn't true for me. Yeah. What's right for you isn't right for me. The words right and wrong have a very heavy meaning in our culture. And yet they have no meaning at all. Mm-hmm. And so it's like forcing people to think about the origins of the universe, which who's doing that in everyday life? Yeah. It, we have to sort of back somebody up to, do you believe there are any, any objective right and wrong things? Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. What are some examples of, of ways that you think people could say there is no objective right and wrong? Or that they, are there any things in the culture that you think everyone could agree on is right and wrong? Well, so this is such shades of gray because I would say people would probably agree murder right and wrong mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. however shades of gray war protecting yourself right so so most people would say clearly murder is wrong so from your mindset because you're a gray mm-hmm. dweller you would come at that differently than i would and i think that's productive in the context of this conversation it seems like you would say I don't know if everyone would agree is murder is right and wrong because I think other people, some people might say 
in the context of X, Y, and Z, murder is not wrong. Yeah. By the way, murder and killing should be dis- distinguished. Okay. Yes. So you could take it back to, do. could we all agree that taking someone else's life for your personal joy is wrong? Mm-hmm. Like a sociopath, psychopath, yeah. serial killer. Can we? Could we agree that that's wrong? Or is that just what's right for him? Mm-hmm. Now, you and I might develop that conversation differently. You might come from a companionship in the gray mm-hmm. area. Just because we approach the conversation from different angles doesn't mean that the core of the conversation is sure. the same. I think some people would say, well, it is what's right for him, but it's not accepted by society. Mm-hmm. And so there's this circular society makes right and wrong. Now, Tim Keller, again, he has this book called The Reason for God. Mm. Um, he talks about the who says, and he says, S-E-Z. <laughs> In the book, he says, who says? Mm. C.S. Lewis approaches it differently, but it's the same conversation, which is if there is any definition of right and wrong, it has to come from somewhere. Right. And there are some people who are, I think they're called... Um, social evolutionists which say the evolution of our morality Mm -hmm. has developed to keep the herd going Mm -hmm. Uh, c.s lewis copes with this beautifully do you have a response for that an argument that god didn't so this all being relative that there's no real morality there's no real objective right and wrong being supported by um arguments against individual rights and wrongs being objectively right and wrong Mm -hmm. but rather being a development of social evolution like well we had to as a society decide that was wrong or else people be killing each other all over the place yeah i uh and i'm not 100 percent sure if i'm in the same so so correct me if i'm not so one of the things that i've come across is is that we're so much smarter today Mm -hmm. and so that's how we develop what we develop based on our intelligence level Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we just understand now that, you know, we didn't understand that then. Mm. So that didn't exist then. Didn't understand what? uh, We didn't understand that, um, uh, to use an example, we didn't understand that that grown men being with children was wrong then. Mm. So they just did that. Now we recognize that kids aren't old enough to make Mm -hmm. those decisions. So we recognize societally that that is wrong. So we've developed over time the intelligence to understand that certain things that were considered right before are now considered wrong. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've come across. I'm not 100% sure if that's the same. It's close. Okay. I mean, I think it's in the same arena. Yeah. So what would you say to that? Well, so I would immediately ask, and, and I've been in this position before where I ask, do you believe then that we are different human as human beings now than we were 100, 200, 300, 400, 1,000 years ago? Uh, and I've come across the answer of where they do. They actually believe that, uh, and as, as a matter of fact, I've come across someone who said, well, during Moses' time when he was trying to explain to people, most of them were Neanderthals, so they didn't really understand. Mm-hmm. So I actually have come across where they think d- we've evolved in morality and, ethic- and in, ethics. In, in, yep. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's been just a struggle in that question because they say, yeah, we're, we're different human beings our brains are bigger our brains are smarter we can grasp more information now than we ever grasped before that's why we had racism then or us um, excuse me slavery then and we don't have slavery now now we understand that it's wrong uh and so uh where i would say that that is not true i believe that we were developed 
as God developed us. And so there was, again, using the Bible, right? So trying to look outside of the Bible is a little more difficult. But looking inside of the Bible, I say that happened, you know, with Moses, right? They were under slavery for, that, you know, thousands of years ago. And so uh, bringing it outside is a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. Because, again, I, I always go back to the question is, is do you think that we are different now? Mm -hmm. Do you think humans are different than humans were before? Mm -hmm. um, which is basically the foundation of social evolution, which mm -hmm. is they, humans and societies must, have, must be different than they were. And, by the way, they are. Technology, industry, sure. there yeah. have been developments that have created changes in civilization over time. Yeah. There's no argument there. Yeah. The argument is, and so um, I will say that I think, are you familiar with the term straw man? Yes. Okay. I will, so let me define straw man is like just setting up an argument that's not really the argument. Yeah. I will say that I think citing the evolution of civilization in technology, technology is a really broad term. We think of it as like the stuff we have in our pockets, but it's a really broad term. Yeah. Like technology was tools and technology was the wheel mm -hmm. and technology was et cetera. So as we evolve, as our societies evolve, that changes the morality. I think that's a bit of a straw man argument for a couple of reasons. One, we still have access to some pretty primitive societies, aboriginals, mm -hmm. and we have records of what we would call primitive societies. Some primitive societies kept pretty good records. And there was still morality in do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. The evolution is a bit of a different conversation than... Um, the root, which is, well, we are, that's our instinct. So I think C.S. Lewis copes with it really well because he talks about the difference between people and animals. Animals will always uh, protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Mothers will protect their children, but only to a certain mm -hmm. age. Um, their offspring, I should say. Um, at a certain age of maturity, the parents will turn on the children so and some some animals some mothers eat their offspring yeah. so it's not a hard and fast rule that um that animals protect their offspring as a sidebar interestingly when we see an animal that protects its offspring we re we receive it as a sign of intelligence yeah. so to the human condition C.S. Lewis does a great job of pointing out that there is an inherent right and wrong in us because we inherently, in every society, at every iteration of society, we have inherently valued selflessness and bravery. Mm -hmm. Selflessness and bravery looks like a fireman rushing into yeah. a burning building to save someone else. It goes against my self-preservation instinct mm -hmm. and causes me to behave in a way that does not self-preserve. The way that C.S. Lewis describes that is our actions are notes on a page. We play the notes. But when one instinct, so it's all around the same thing. It's about 
the evolution of society, the way that we're made, and what's natural to us, instincts. Mm -hmm. And that instincts have changed over time to protect the herd. So we're still talking about the same thing, which, uh, again, is all the way back to right and wrong. I just want to make sure we hold the thread. What C.S. Lewis explains is when a person goes into a burning building, when a person dives into the water or, or puts him or herself at great risk to save a stranger, not their own offspring, mm-hmm. but a stranger, there must be something bigger at play. Because that can't be instinct. It can't. Mm. Instinct would be the thing you always do to support whatever that instinct is developed for. So the self-preservation instinct is one. That you would always be inclined to Mm self-preserve. And yet in every society, in every iteration of society, it has always been honored when someone has been selfless or brave or heroic. So that here, so what we were talking about in naturalism, where God exists above space and time, what C.S. Lewis explains is these behaviors that we almost always reliably perform, mostly self-preservation, there's got to be something above that. And he calls it notes on the page, but who wrote the notes, mm. right? And who plays the notes? It's n- the notes aren't the music, um, he does a better job. I'm not doing a good job. But what he's saying is there's something in us that we overcome because mm-hmm. we know it's the right yeah. thing. And therefore, right and wrong exists above instinct and social protection and social and herd instinct. It exists above it. Yeah. It exists above it. And so that's the back to take it all the way back to. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of time. And I think this is actually harder to develop as a toolbox than naturalism because right and wrong is so gray Mm -hmm. in our our culture right now. Like it is even even the argument. And as I was sitting here thinking, the argument that that has been used very often outside of Christianity and inside Christianity is, is we're just supposed to love. You're just supposed to love. Leave them alone. Let them do what they do because you're just, your rule book says that you're just supposed to love. And uh, to me, that's a form of relativism as well. Like you're telling me that I'm just supposed to leave what's good for you, what you believe is good for you at the time. What's and comfortable ig- for you. What's comfortable for you. And ignore truth because I'm supposed to love. Mm-hmm. And that's what love looks like to you because that's what you believe is truth. Right. So it's even, and I've seen it inside the church yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's hard. It's, it's challenging to cope with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that when we can recognize uh, gently mm-hmm. that it's based in self-centeredness, mm-hmm. um, again, no one cares about right and wrong when it comes to the capital of France. People only care about right and wrong when it exerts itself on their personal yeah. liberties. And so it's that is so necessary in the context of relationship. Because here, Kathy, is where, where we uncover things like what we've described anecdotally a little bit dripping through the, the other episodes, which is like, this is where we uncover church hurt. This is where yeah. we uncover uh, family abuse or... Um, I didn't get the miracle or Mm -hmm. this is where we uncover because relativism, unlike naturalism comes from a a heart place. Yeah. And we have to be so much more gentle with the heart Mm -hmm. 
of our conversational partner when we try to lead them to truth. Because if you stomp on their heart, you're just one more reason why Christianity is not the right answer. This program is produced by Study With Friends. Learn more about us at studywithfriends.org and sign up there for email devotionals or download our Bible studies for free. If you are blessed by our work, please consider supporting our ministry with a donation. We believe in the local church. Please find a congregation where you can plug in and experience all aspects of the Christian life. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time when we study with friends.